Well, it's good to see you guys uh, this week. I've been away on a mini staycation. I mean, when you live in San Antonio, why go anywhere else? I just had a lot of fun uh, hanging out in San Antonio. And I wanted to express my appreciation to our associate pastor, John Pyle, and to our Connect pastor, Sherry Richard, for leading us, uh, doing such a great job leading us in this Family Matters series. Uh, you know, one of, one of our uh, goals here at City Church, part of our vision is to, is to raise up the next generation of leaders and teachers to continue the City Church movement. And so I'm excited about our future at City Church with such inspiring leaders like John and Sherry and just wanted to thank them for leading us these past several weeks. Now, uh, this winter, uh, City Church conducted a survey of those who attend here just trying to find out from you how, how we can serve you best. And we asked you what issues that you wanted us to address in 2019 as a church. And of the six top responses, the, the six categories that you most wanted us to teach on, four of them were all related to the family, you know, marriage and parenting and family relationships. And so that's why we're doing this Family Matters series. And so today I want to share with you a message about family that's it's been uh, stirring within me for several years now. It, it came a, uh, out of a season in my life when our last child, we have two kids, you know, they became adults. And as we got to see them, you know, grow from kids to, into adulthood, and, and we realized that as they, they moved out of the house, you know, we're empty nesters, thank God. And uh, we, we've, we realized that we raise kids that we really like. And I think our kids like us. And I think we learned something about family culture, okay? The kind of culture where that actually can happen. And so what I'm going to share with you today comes out of, of, of my reflection on that, you know, like, and my kids are so different. So like my son, he's 29 and he went to NM, he's an Aggie, and whoop, and all that means he's an engineer, uh, but he has to live in Austin. So, uh, you know, he's not too weird yet. And then my daughter is sort of like the other end. She's an artist. She went to uh, UT. She's a Longhorn. And uh, she, yeah, she lives, and she lives in Los Angeles uh, as an artist. And so I really have two kids who re represent both extremes. But, and I think I've learned something about raising kids, no matter who they are, no matter what they're like, where you end up creating a family you love. And isn't that what we all want? You know, we've been saying throughout this series to have a family you love, you got to love the family you have, but that sometimes that can be challenging because families can be messy and families can be messy because people are messy. All people are messy. You're messy and I'm messy. When you put all the messiness together, sometimes it can create some challenges. And so, uh, so one, one, the, the principle I want to share with you today is something that, that, you know, came to me in my experience as a parent creating a culture for my family, but it really applies to any role that you may have within your extended family. And so I'm going to let you in now on my secret as a, a, a parent, my, my number one goal as a parent that, that drove me as I raised our kids. You want to know? Raise kids who don't hate your guts. <laughs> that was my goal in life. Now, I know, I know I'm being a little bit facetious there, just a little bit though. Because I've talked to enough uh, adults who, you know, throughout their childhood, uh, as they approach their adult years, uh, at best they tolerate their parents, and at worst, they hate their guts. And you know what I've noticed? 
is sometimes it's the religious parents who have kids who hate their guts the most. And so I want to address that. I think there's a cultural issue going on here. And so I want to share with you a a scriptural truth that I came across. It's it's in studying this, this family where you get like this window into a season of their lives where I think a lot of mistakes were made. And we're going to look at that in just a moment. Because I believe that there's there's a key to creating the kind of culture you want in your family, and that you you can change the climate and the culture within your family if you can grasp these truths I'm going to share with you today. No matter what your role, whether you're a parent, sibling, a, a child, a step-parent, step-kid, aunt, uncle, cousin, Theo, Mio, whatever you call it, all right? You, I'm telling you, you can change the culture of your family. So uh, before we get into the scriptural truths I'm going to share with you, uh, I'm going to ask you a question. How is the culture in your family? Like, Do you look forward to family gatherings or do you dread them? And what role do you play in your family, you know, relationships? Do you tend to make your family better or do you, if you could be honest, do you tend to make your family worse? Well, today I want us to look at a certain man uh, who was great at leading a nation, but he was not so great leading his family. In fact, he ended up raising kids who hated his guts. And I want us to learn from his mistakes. You ready? So this this man led what I would call like the ultimate blended family. You know, normally when we think about blended families, we think about like maybe ex-spouses and and stepkids and half-siblings and all that kind of stuff. Well, this family, uh, this man had 13 wives. And they all lived together at the same time with all of their kids. I mean, it's hard for us to imagine today. This would be like taking all the Kardashians with all of their kids and ex-spouses and and siblings and and kids and stuff and throwing them into the same household as the Real Housewives of New Jersey with all of their kids and all of their family. I mean, it would just be a mess, right? Now, the dad I'm talking about is King David, whose story is told in the Jewish scriptures. And like I said, he had 13 wives at the same time. I can barely deal with one at a time. Oh my gosh. I'm going to pay for that later. (laughs) Okay, so he had all these wives and all their kids and they all lived under the same roof. I mean, this would have made a great uh, reality show, right? Well, one day this brewing cauldron of a messy family blew up in his face. And it occurred between uh, two two siblings who were half-siblings. And let me just say that what happened was so shocking and messed up. Even back then, it would, it would be shocking and messed up in our day too. It was just a horrible thing. You see, one of uh, King David's adult sons, Amnon, pretended to be sick. And he asked his half-sister Tamar to come and take care of him. And when she went into his room to take care of him, he sexually assaulted her. Her own half-brother. And let me just say, uh, I cannot imagine the horror of sexual abuse. And this was supposed to be a person that she could trust. And I I just want to say, you know, in my 20 plus years as a pastor here at City Church, unfortunately, I know that sexual abuse is a part of many of your stories. And I just want to speak a few words to you, if I can, before we continue on. 
the first thing I want to say to you is, it's not your fault. No matter what your abuser has said to you, it is not your fault you didn't do anything wrong. And I also want you to know that City Church is a safe community where you can face painful experiences like you faced, and I believe you can get the healing you need here. One of our goals as a church is to help people find freedom together. You don't find freedom alone. You, you find it with some other people. And I believe if you'll give us a chance, we can help you go back and get healed up, even from a horrible experience like abuse. I believe we can help you find freedom if you'll give us a chance. Well, anyway, uh, Amnon's abuse became known. And you can imagine the conflict it caused within their family. This is 2 Samuel chapter 13. So Tamar put on ashes on her head and tore her ornate robe she was wearing. She put her hands on her head and went away weeping aloud as she went, crying all throughout the house. When King David heard all of this, he was furious. And Absalom, and Absalom is Tamar's full brother. Absalom never said a word to Amnon, either good or bad, because he hated Amnon because he had disgraced his sister Tamar. Now Absalom and Tamar hoped that their dad David would do something about this horrible, this horrible wrong. They wanted him to do something, you know, anything. But David didn't do anything. Oh, he was furious, but he did nothing about this wrong. I mean, why? What could he be thinking? Some people believe that this relates to some lingering guilt he had about some wrongs that he had done earlier in his life. You see, as a young man, younger man, uh, he committed adultery and he conspired and had murdered uh, the husband of his lover. That's some pretty bad stuff. And some people believe that he felt hypocritical about confronting this wrong given the wrongs that he had committed himself. But for whatever reason, David did not confront this wrong within his family. And that is the first family mistake that we can make, which is not confronting wrongs. Your family members need to know that when a wrong happens, you will do something about it, especially within the family. Your family needs to know that you will confront wrongs. I can't tell you how many times I've talked to adults who tell me that when they were kids, they faced abuse of some kind, and then they got the courage to do the right thing, which is to tell uh, uh, an appropriate adult or a parent about it. And in many cases, those adults and those parents didn't do anything about it. In fact, I even had one woman tell me. She told her parent about abuse that she was experiencing, and the parent said this, well, you just got to put family first. And when she told me that, it broke my heart, and it ticked me off. And so I want everybody to hear me on this. Silence does not put family first. I'm going to say it again. Silence does not put family first. Silence wrecks families. Is that really the kind of culture you want in your family? The one that tolerates abuse and does nothing about it? That's not a family anyone loves. To have a family you love, the way you love the family you have, is you confront wrongs when they happen. Because if you don't do that, 
your family will not feel safe. And nobody wants to be in a family where they don't feel safe. A part of loving the family that you have is confronting wrongs when you witness them so that you will help your other family members feel safe within their family. Well, King David's failure to confront this wrong in his family, it left his other family members feeling like they had to take matters into their own hands. And that's normally a bad situation. So Tamar's full brother, Absalom, for two years, acted like nothing happened, no problem, no sweat. But all along the way, he was devising, he was plotting his revenge. And so two years later, he threw a big party and he invited all of his brothers to this party and they had a lot to eat and they had a lot to drink. And when everybody had had plenty to drink, he had his men attack and kill his abusive half-brother, Amnon. And notice how David responded. This is 2 Samuel 13. Absalom fled and went to Talmai, son of Amihu, the king of Geshur, which that's his grandparents. He went to his grandparents' house in a different city. But King David mourned many days for his son. After Absalom fled and went to Geshur, he stayed there for three years. And King David longed to go to Absalom, for he was consoled concerning Amnon's death. At first, King David mourned the loss of his son. But over time, his heart turned toward Absalom. And here's the deal. His heart was telling him the right thing to do. His heart was telling him to reach out to Absalom. His heart was telling him to, to reconcile with his son, to do something to restore the relationship, to restore the relationship within the family. But again, David didn't do anything about it. He didn't do anything to make peace within his family. And that's the second big family mistake. And that is not making peace. Folks, as followers of Jesus, we are called to be peacemakers, especially in our family. Jesus said this, Blessed are the peacemakers, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Peacemakers, when they see conflict, when they see messiness, they don't back away. They engage to try to make peace between people. But look, messiness and conflict, it's, it's going to happen within our families. And so somebody in the family, if you're going to create the kind of family you love, somebody in the family has to engage and make peace between people. I mean, do you like to go to family gatherings where there's tension and unresolved peace? No, nobody does. And so I'm calling you to be peacemakers within your families. To have a family you love, you've got to love the family you have by confronting wrongs, when they happen, and by making peace between people where there's conflict and messiness. But once again, King David didn't do anything about his estranged son. He didn't confront him. He didn't make peace with him. And so after three years, so think about this, for three years, his son has been away. He hasn't even seen his son, hadn't heard from him. One of his advisors devised a plan to trick King David into bringing his own son back home. So this is what happened. In their day, the king served as like a judge over, over uh, court matters in their culture. And so uh, his advisor asked an elderly woman to go to King David with a family situation seeking his, his ruling. And so this, this older woman came to King David and told her story. And this is what she told him. 
She told him that she was a widow, so she had no husband, and she had only two sons. Her two sons got into a fight, and one of her sons accidentally killed the other son. And so now her family members wanted to put to death her one remaining son for what he had done, and that would leave her with no one. And so she told King David that her son was now banished. He was estranged. He was off somewhere just trying to save his life, and she asked King David to give a ruling and to intervene. Well, when King David heard about her situation, he promised her that he would protect her son and that she could bring her son back and that he would make sure that that he would, would be safe, that nobody would harm him. Well, then the woman said, well, may I say one more thing? And this, that's her words are what I want us to see. Uh, this is for, uh, 2 Samuel 14, verse 13. The woman said, Why then have you devised a thing like this against the people of God? In other words, why are you doing something like my family wanted to do to my one remaining son? When the king says this, does he not convict himself? For the king has not brought back his banished son. Like water spilled on the ground which cannot be recovered, so we must die. But that is not what God desires. Rather, he devises ways so that a banished person does not remain banished from him. That woman's words may be the most important words we will ever hear as far as family relationships go. It's like she's, she's revealing something about God's heart to us. And this is what she's telling us. God figures out ways so that banished people can return. God devises plans and ways so that estranged family members can come back to the family. God creates paths of grace that lead people home. Do you? A few years ago, I was visiting a friend's ranch. It's a a big spread. It's 2,500 acres up near Kerrville. It had a lot of hills and and, uh, and topography on it, and I decided to go for a long walk. And I, I went and walked up, I walked up a certain hill on his property, and as I was walking, though, a fog set in. And when the fog set in, I, I got disoriented because I couldn't see where the sun was at that point, and I couldn't see any of the, the features that would help me know which direction to go to get back to the ranch house. But one thing that I knew, having uh, driven around that ranch numerous times, was that all of the roads on that ranch ultimately led you back to the ranch house. And so I walked around until I found a a path or a road, and I just took that road, and I just kept going and kept going until I found my way back home. And God's kingdom is like my friend's ranch. He creates paths of grace that will help a person who feels lost come home. Do you? The most important responsibility we have as family members is to be like God in this way. And we are the most like God when we create paths and we devise plans where estranged family members, angry family members, depressed family members, addicted family members can find their way home. When a family member gets lost in the wilderness of sin or poor choices of some kind, What they desperately need is somebody in the family to provide a path of grace so they can get home. Now, 
you would think that King David, okay, with all that had happened, you would think that King David would finally get it, right? Wrong. After three years, King David did finally decide to bring his son Absalom back, but he did not create a path of grace. I want you to notice what he did instead. Uh, this is 2 Samuel 14, verse 23. <clears throat> then Joab went to Geshur, that's his advisor, went to go get Absalom. Then Joab went to Geshur and brought Absalom back to Jerusalem. But the king said he must go to his own house. He must not see my face. So Absalom went to his own house and did not see the face of the king. So think about it. For three years, Absalom had not even seen the face of his father. And then his father calls him back to his hometown where he could come home. And then tells him, I'm not even going to look at you for two more years. And during those five years, Absalom grew to hate his father's guts. And Absalom rallied some people and led a rebellion against his own father. Get this. Kicked his father out of his house. Kicked his father out of his city. And then had his wives publicly disgraced just to spite him. Well, David's army and Absalom's army eventually fought, and Absalom died a brutal, gruesome death. What Absalom needed most was a path of grace, but he never found one because his father never gave him one. And I want you to think about this. This man who had experienced so much grace himself, I mean, adultery and murder, he had been forgiven. He had experienced so much grace, but he wouldn't give a path of grace for his own son? And I think that's the biggest family mistake you can ever make, which is not showing grace. And so I want you to pause for a moment and think about the grace that God has shown you. You know, when I think about the grace God has shown me, when I think back on some of the years where I was just very self-absorbed and prideful, when I think about my struggles with anger that I've shared with you guys before, and my own struggles with lust, and when I think about all of the grace that God has shown me, it, it, it makes me, it just makes me wonder how lost I could be, how banished I could feel if God hadn't provided paths of grace for me. And if God provides paths of grace like that for us, shouldn't we provide paths of grace like that for family members? Folks, I think that the family that you want, the family you crave, the family you hunger for, the family you would love to love, it's a family of grace. That's the culture you want, a culture of grace. But families of grace don't just happen. Families of grace take people of grace. If you want to have a family of grace, you need to become a person of grace. Somebody's got to bring the culture into your family. And so I'm challenging you, I'm calling you to become a person of grace and create paths of grace within your family. And I'm promising you, you can change the culture of your family. You can make your family into a family you love to love. And so there, there's two critical situations that I find where you can create those paths of grace and change the grace culture in your family. The first situation occurs when a family member messes up. And in case you didn't know, that family members will mess up. So you ought to just expect that. 
But how you respond, how you react when family members mess up, will determine whether you create a path of grace or a wall of separation. So how do you respond when family members mess up? Do you get angry? Do you condemn them instead of confronting them in a redemptive way? Do you overreact? Do you stay mad and you keep bringing up the wrong that they've done over and over and over again just to control them? What, what, what would your spouse and your kids say about the way you respond when people mess up? Folks, I think one of the most important things we can do within our families is when a family member messes up is to create a path of grace. And you do that by going to a family member who has messed up and pastoring them, helping them to, to confess whatever they've done to God and experience his forgiveness, and then to ask for forgiveness of anyone that they have wronged. And, and if someone has wronged them, to forgive the person they have wronged. If you do that, you will create a path of grace within your family. And you can set in motion a different kind of culture in your family. So there's two situations where you create paths of grace. One is when a family member messes up. The other is when you mess up. And you will mess up too. So how do you respond when you mess up? Do you just try to justify what you've done? Like, are you an arguer? Do you power up with your personality? Do you, do you try to fake it like, and hope that nobody really notices and to, like, just don't talk about it? When you mess up, and you will, if you want to create a path of grace when you mess up, humble yourself and admit what you have done. Confess, confess what you have done to anyone that you have wronged. Ask for their forgiveness. I promise you, if you will do that, you will create a path of grace within your family. You will change the culture of your family. I promise. Folks, what your family needs most is not a perfect person. What your family needs most is a humble, gracious person. And, and I know, I'm, trust me, I know what I'm talking about. I've had some, some issues within my family where I brought disruption to my family. And honestly, I needed some help to be a person of grace and create paths of grace. And so I, I, I went through a, a process that our church uh, uses to help people become people of grace and create paths of grace. Uh, we call it PTO, or peel the onion. And peeling the onion is a metaphor. It's a metaphor for peeling back the layers of our lives and getting at all of the different seasons in our lives where we have been hurt by people. Because when you carry around those hurts, you bring all of that pain into other relationships, even when these may not be the people who hurt you. And so the PTO program is a process of helping you get healing through all of the seasons of your life. And it teaches you how to become a person of grace and to create paths of grace by confronting wrongs in redemptive ways instead of destructive ways, by learning how to make peace with people with whom there's conflict, and by teaching you how to <clears throat> create paths of grace, not only within your family, but in all relationships. And... If you've ever experienced abuse in your life, this program and process will help you go back and forgive your abuser, which is what you need more than anything. And I know it, it, it's hard, it may be even hard for you to think of that, but when you get to the point where you can forgive your abuser, you will begin to get the healing that you need, and you will be, be able to move on. You will find freedom from that horrible event in your life. And so we're going to be having some new 
uh, PTO groups, circles, starting up in the next few weeks. You can sign up for them at the Connection Pavilion, or you can go online, or you can just show up this Tuesday at 7 o'clock right here on uh, this campus. You can just ask, where's PTO, and we'll have somebody help you. But whatever you do, become a person who creates paths of grace. Now, I told you about the PTO program because I've gone through the process five times myself. Uh, that's how much I needed it. And uh, because, you know, those of you who've been around, you've heard me tell this part of my story. 15 years ago, I was shocked to discover that I was an angry person. And as a part of this process, I came to the place where I had to admit that I was an angry parent. And so as a part of the process, I asked to speak with my children. And I confessed that to them. I admitted, you know, my angry words, my angry actions, just the tension that I brought into our family. And I asked my children to forgive me of my sin. And, you know, when I was talking to my kids about this, my daughter Anna, she was a little bit uncomfortable. She said, oh, Daddy, don't, Daddy, it's okay. It's okay, Daddy. But I stopped her. I said, no, Anna, it's not okay. What I have done is wrong. My words and my actions have hurt you. They've hurt your brother. They've hurt your mother. And it's not right. And I ask you to forgive me. And I want you to know that confessions like that and conversations like that may be the most important words I've ever spoken to my family. And I think because I, I spoke words like that to my kids, I have kids that don't hate my guts. And that's what I want for you and for your family. So I'm going to ask you a question. What, what, do you, what do you need to do this week to create a path of grace in your family? What's your heart telling you to do? Then do that. Let's pray together. Lord God, we are so grateful that you are a God of grace and that you invite us to be a part of your family through our faith in your son, Jesus. We are so grateful that you've created a culture of grace within your family, that you forgive our sins because of our faith in Jesus, and that you invite us to call you Father, call the living God Father, and you welcome us into your family, and, and you're willing to forgive us of our sins because of your grace, and we just thank you for that. And my prayer, Lord, is that you would help each of us who have experienced your grace to become instruments of grace within our families. Father, I ask that you would give us a clear sensitivity of what we need to do to create paths of grace within our families and then give us the courage and faith we need to take steps of faith to create those paths of grace this week. Lord, I, I lift up just all of the families that are represented here and my prayer is that you would help the city church people to create grace-cultured families that would attract people to you, our gracious Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.